0: Tell me your story, new paradigms for a new world. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. I thank you so much for joining us on the program today as uh, we are here to uh, work with you to uh, help bring new paradigms for a new world and choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. I hope that you will stay with us every Sunday, 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., streaming live at those times at richarddugan.com. We also have podcasts at SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, as well as RichardDugan.com. We are also on Zoom with uh, videos of this program. I, let me rephrase that. Yes, we're on Zoom because that's how we're doing these interviews. But we're on YouTube where these videos can be seen. So I hope that you uh, will uh, join us there as well. Watch our interviews, get to know our guests face-to-face, as it were, myself as well. And I hope that you will continue to be with us. And if you're looking for it, go to Richard Dugan and tell me your story. Just look for the guy with the black hat. There you go. Those are the basic uh, elements there. We'll also be giving you our website for our guest here in just a moment. And we will also uh, want you to participate in 2020, the uh, 2020s. The Decade of Perfect Vision, uh, where uh, we ask you to go within, spend some time uh, seeking uh, out that still, quiet, small place where you can find calm, peace, relaxation, if you will, uh, rejuvenate, re-energize, uh, refocus and uh, we hope that you will take the time to do just that. We also hope that if this resonates with you, will join us uh, financially supporting the program. We have PayPal and Patreon accounts for your security as well as ours. So do what you can. We will take energetic support as well. Our program today is going to be talking with a man who, um, well, you could put it in this context of rags to riches, although We're not talking necessarily about um, the dollar sign riches per se. Uh, Basically, it's a journey uh, of uh, adoption, cancer addiction, and uh, breakthrough to living. Our guest today is the author of Killer Graces. Interesting way to phrase that. Steve uh, Mellon is my guest. Steve, thank you so much for joining us on the program.
1: Hello, Richard. Thank you for having me today.
0: Interesting title to the book. Uh, I've never considered uh, Graces to be killer.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's just the way things came out. I mean, this is actually named after a racehorse. Uh, Uh Yeah, so that's where it came from. My first racehorse that I participated in was named Killer Graces, and I bought into this on a whim. It was not really planned, and all I knew was the name of the horse. And so if I go through this journey for the next, next 10 years... It was, uh, there were some really, I, I'm very graced and blessed right now. And I've had some some killer things that should have knocked me out, multiple things. So I just thought it was very appropriate. Uh, the killer graces. I did very, I was very lucky on that first horse. And I've actually, I'm still lucky being here.
0: Well, we are, I would say, lucky to have you to share your story with us as well. And some of the things that you have learned over the years you, uh, I'm going to give it out early because I want people to uh, begin the process of of knowing where to find you. Uh, what's great is uh, when you are able to find a website that is easy to remember, and especially if it's your name, uh, so much the better. I was lucky I grabbed mine early on. Uh, you did as well, apparently. Steve Mellon, M L M E L E N is the last name. Mellon, SteveMellon.com is the website. This is your first book, isn't it? Yes, it is.
1: I, I actually never planned on writing a book and I just, there was so much feedback throughout each story. And as the, as the progression happened that I, I couldn't ignore it at one point. And then finally I, was, I, I started the process, but the process did take me seven years. So it wasn't, it wasn't an easy process.
0: Wasn't a quickie there. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, and I no. can attest to the fact that it's not a quick process because I've, I'm still working on one 20 years later. Uh, (laughs) Well, I didn't officially start writing it maybe until 10 or 15 years ago, but, uh, you know, I knew that there was going to be a book there and I just, uh, I've been, well, come on, be honest. I've been procrastinating, okay? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) That's all there is to it. Um, Let me address the subject because this has kind of come up a little bit. You know and I know that we're all looking to uh, find out who we are, where we come from, get a little idea of um, uh, what makes us tick as individuals, but specifically uh, you as Steve Mellon, me as Richard Dugan. uh, And uh, in your case, uh, uh, you dealt with the subject of adoption. And uh, I'm curious as to, first of all, how you found out uh, if it was um, intentional or by accident.
1: Well, uh, the adoption process was not the normal one i mean i was basically handed over one day as a trial run to another family when i was really young about two years old and i just never went back so it wasn't through the the, the his the normal ways that someone would be adopted so I, and i didn't know any of this as you know any of this is because it was happening when i was two years old so uh you know that was back when i, I was born in minnesota i came out here in california when i was nine months old and then my mother, at uh, at the time, uh, needed help and support, and she let me go with one of the teachers at her sister's school for uh, for a, a trial run. So uh, that trial run, you know, just ended up ended up turning into my life. And I, I I you know I didn't find out much about that. I knew my parents who adopted me told me I was adopted all along. Uh, but they, and they said I could meet my parents if I wanted to my biological parents and I was too worried or nervous or scared to do it for for the first 18 years and then not until right after I turned 18 my mother biological mother approached me in the parking lot of my high school and uh and introduced herself and that was the first time I reconnected with my biological family but subsequently i I've, I've met and my dad, my mom, and I've had a sit down with them. It's a wild story in the book, but I've, I've had a sit down with both of them about six years ago uh, in Minnesota, and that didn't go so smoothly, but it was I'm glad I did it.
0: So would you say that your relationship with your biological parents is strained? No, it's
1: actually good now okay I mean, in the
0: yeah I, I
1: actually I think it was strained between the two of them, not between oh, me and them
0: I see I beg your pardon. yes
1: yeah 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 so i so they they do not talk or like each other because my my mom told my father that i died in a car accident when i was uh when i was three so he didn't know i was alive for for 25 plus years so that that would cause some strain when he discovers later on that i'm actually alive and uh and so but i made the effort after the cancer and whatnot to meet and reach out and get them both together and they don't get along I get along with each one of them ind- individually
0: well that's good and have you been able to uh, kind of answer that kind of question about where you come from now is, is that does, has that helped you better understand who Steve Mellon is well you you
1: you wonder about nature versus nurture because I was raised by this family that was completely different than my biological family and I was always wondering I didn't look like my my family that raised me and then subsequently they both died in their 50s so the parents who adopted me are have passed on and so then I've been able to reconnect with my biological family uh, and get to know them better. And I, I learned about where I get some of my behaviors, some of these things that are just in me that I, I and you, you know of course, you can point at the bad ones like here that's where I got that and that's where I got that. Uh, but they're good things too. you know I have a, I, I have good and bad as we all do, and I, I see where a lot of this uh, nature part came from versus the nurture.
0: Yeah have you uh had the had the desire the interest the curiosity to even do uh, one of these DNA tests that's now readily available
1: i oh I've done it yeah i I did it and i was and I was questioning you know what was you know if it was true and how much was true and who to believe because the stories are different about different things and yes, so I've done it. I do know through the 23 and me that these things are, are factual. I, uh, but you know, each person has their own side of the story, but of how it went and what happened and you can do your own little scientific studies and kind of figure some things out. But in the process, I found out a lot of weird stuff that isn't necessarily the best, but, uh, you know that's for book number
0: two, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about the book now. This this, this goes into a lot of what <laughs> we've sort of what we've discussed as it is right up to this point. Uh, but you also went through a lot of other stuff uh, that took you down uh, a road, as you say, about ten years worth. Uh, not everybody goes down that road of 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 one or more of those parts, if you will. Uh, I myself, uh, when it came to addictions. Um, especially when it came to substance abuse. I, I just never, uh, it, it wasn't that, uh, well, you know, they say it's illegal. And you could go to jail. Mm-hmm. I wasn't afraid of that. And just, mm-hmm. I, you know, and I wasn't worried about the harm that it might do. I, it just didn't interest me.
1: Mm-hmm. I'm
0: curious as to how it started for you.
1: Yeah, the, the addiction part uh, it was developing. I mean, I was told when I was uh, adopted that my parents had addiction issues. So that was always told to me and I should watch out for it. Uh, I think the, where it really was first seated was in, in younger childhood is my desire to be to be have friends and to be liked because I felt maybe abandoned as a without knowing it, abandoned as a little child, as a two year old, a one year old by a dad, by a mom. And so I wanted to be liked by friends. So I think what I did was I found a way to be, I wanted to be funny and I want people to laugh. So I, so when I was a young child before using any substances, I think I used humor and that in sports to actually get friends. And then the older I got, I started to find alcohol and I felt that it maybe numbed some of the problems. And then I felt that it enhanced the good parts of me, which it, it over time it does not do that, but where the addiction really, really got bad was after. I mean, we. Were, I guess we're going to talk about my cancer, the cancer uh, that I had with my stomach uh, being removed. I I got addicted to pain meds uh, because I was in such bad shape, and that really accelerated all the problems. And that was that started about 13 years ago, almost to the day. But uh, I've been sober for seven years now. But it it, it it was cruising along, waiting to actually take off, and it took off after the cancer, and that's that's when things just really fell apart.
0: Mm. Well, I have um, I have dealt with that subject not personally, as far as having uh, the diagnosis, my uh, wife. Uh, 20 years ago, as we, as we converse here, it was 20 years ago she was diagnosed with a rare form of cancer. And it was so rare that uh, the way they described it, you know, I asked how many people have had it. Oh, 1,200. 1,200 oh, women. I'm going, wait a minute. Okay, that's rare. Sure, I, I get it. And then, of course, uh, I said, OK, well, what's the remission rate and this and that and the other thing, you know, those kinds of things. And well, seven, if you have the chemo, you know, you have a 70 percent chance of survival of, you know, of, of getting rid of it, you know. And uh, and then, of course, um, you know, she went through chemo, she went through surgery and chemo and so forth. <laughs> and her story uh, is what has, has driven my particular book that's taken <clears throat> 20 years. But. Mm-hmm. I'm curious as to your first reaction, because I know from, from watching my wife, experiencing what my wife's first reaction was, mm-hmm. which wasn't a good reaction. Well, I shouldn't say it wasn't a good reaction. It was a, it was a good reaction because of the way she reacted. She did have some emotions over it, obviously. Um, I'm on the outside. I'm looking in. And that's the hardest. I have to tell you, I never planned on being a caregiver. Yes. And, um, you know, I I asked my wife shortly after her surgery. It might have actually been just before her surgery. I says, what do you want to do? Do you want to live or do you want to die? And I actually asked that question that way. I -hmm. says, I may not like your answer or your choice, I should say. But I will support you in whatever your choice is. Well, she Mm -hmm. chose to live. And she's still alive to this day and doing great, been free and clear. What about you? Uh, When you first got the diagnosis, what was your initial reaction?
1: Oh, it was my initial reaction. Sorry for the language. (laughs) All all right. right. uh, All right. But uh, I didn't know how bad it was. I didn't know the severity of it uh, at the time. I was told I was I, I went in it was uh, the process was about six to nine months from the time when i first had symptoms to when i actually went to the emergency room and my, i was already going to my primary care physician and checking things out because i had a pain i had discomfort the final time was 13 years ago it might even be today like I, it's that it's right it's within these four or five days and uh and i go to the emergency room and they do and they find out that i'm anemic then they find it. they do a chest scan and then they do a endoscopy and this is all within an hour or two. And then they come out and say, you've got cancer. And I, and I said, well, I, okay, that's, that word is just terrible. But then they said, then they, uh, they say, you need to have your stomach removed immediately. And that was, and they said, you might have pancreatic cancer. And I didn't know what any of these things were really as far as the severity and or the odds. And so I just basically put my head down and called my friends and said, I think I have pancreatic cancer, stomach cancer. And they all were just, you know, I I could see the looks on their face, but they were all being very supportive. So over the next two weeks, I had to have uh, about multiple doctor visits and endoscopies and, and staging and check out where I was gonna have this procedure done. And I ended up uh, choosing Stanford. Stanford then wanted to do the surgery on January 30th, and I said no, can't do it that day. That's my birthday, and uh, so because I didn't want, and there was a chance I could have died on the operating table. So I, I didn't want my birthday and death day to be the same day. Mm. That would just make too big of a story, and I wouldn't be able to, you know, write this book. I guess I wasn't thinking about a book back then, <laughs> but. Uh, so I, uh, I pushed it off a week after that. So they, on the surgery day, they took out my stomach, my spleen, half my pancreas, a third of my esophagus, and then followed by chemo and radiation after that. So that, that was a, uh, that was the beginning of a very tough road, but I, as you talk about being the caregiver, That word, you know, I work with caregivers and and patients around the world and country now, and I wasn't aware at the time at how hard it was from the caregiver side. Uh, It it was so hard. It ended up ruining my marriage. My marriage fell apart. Uh, uh, But what I I commend you and I commend what you went through because it is really hard to watch a loved one go through that, and uh, because the odds weren't with me, you know, they weren't with me. And so, what do you do? You talk about you know, what you need to do if I don't make it. And, you know, and or do you even want to live? Like those conversations are really, really hard to have, mm-hmm. you know, especially I was only 38 or just turning 38. So I was, I was young, younger at the time, younger.
0: I'm, I'm curious uh, asking that question. Uh, am I going to live or die? Do I want to live or die? What were your, Beliefs, your philosophy regarding death and dying, then, and how has how has it changed? How have they changed, uh, the philosophy, the the beliefs uh, in regards to uh, death and dying, and what's after this life?
1: Yeah, I the, my I grew up <clears throat> in a religious family, going to church every weekend from five years old to. Uh, to high school. And then I broke away uh, from from that when I went to high school and just so happened to coincide when I started drinking, which is kind of strange. I look back at I just kind of diverted and was in more into fun, travel, girls, parties, sports, those things. And uh, I kind of pushed that aside then. And then not until after all of this did I come back to being very, very spiritual in this whole process. because. I think I pushed the edge of, of almost dying a couple times with the addiction and the cancer. I mean, I was, they put, they code ballued me in the hospital and I was sedated and on a breathing tube for a week. So I woke up, you know, I woke up uh, hallucinating and seeing things and, str- and I was strapped to the bed. I, I I couldn't move, you know, I was like, what what's going on? And I, I thought, so since then, I've been on this journey trying to find out or trying to just understand more about about how these things are i think i have people or spirits or powers looking over me i don't know how i made it through this it's uh, per my doctors per my friends for everyone they say it's miraculous and now i want to uh, i there's more to all of this Mm -hmm. the power of the prayer from all my friends and family i absorbed all of that energy and i think that really helped me get to where I am today. I don't, I can't explain it. And I mean, who really can explain it, but I do have a very spiritual uh, belief that there's more to all of this. And I, I'm, I'm still on that journey now.
0: Uh, One of the thoughts that came to me when you described your, your initial diagnosis and you gotta have your stomach removed right away. Um, Has there not been enough advancement yet or has there been, as far as you're aware, to do, uh, I don't know, they do transplants of just about every other part of the body. What about a stomach transplant?
1: I don't know anyone who's ever had a stomach transplant. Uh, they've done what they, uh, I know lots of people, and some people actually, my doctor prophylactically removed stomachs from a whole family because they had the, the gene for for it. So people would, I don't know. You know, people will do that, but you don't need, to have a stomach. And I didn't know you could live without a stomach at the time that it was happening. And, and they, and they told me, and then they took my spleen out and I didn't even know what the spleen did at the time. Right. They took half the pancreas out. I said, I think I need my pancreas, you know? So, uh, yeah, they, they do not do replacements of stomachs. Uh, the only thing that I do now differently without my stomach is I have to give myself a B12 shot once a month and that's the only thing that is absorbed in my stomach that is not absorbed in my small intestine. Everything else I do is same. Now I am anemic, I I do have, you know, I'm skinny, I can't gain weight, I don't absorb calories, I'm 45 pounds lighter than I was before. Uh, So some of these, the joke is that, you know, people go, oh, I'd love to have that problem not being able to gain weight. Well, yeah, it was a little hard path to take, but uh, yeah. I you can do everything normal without a stomach, and people people choose to do it prior to even being diagnosed with cancer these days. And wow. I don't—that's pretty crazy to me.
0: From your perspective, I can understand that too. I I kind of like mine. Uh, you know, yes, I had never yes. heard that you could actually live without it. Uh, and if I may ask some more detailed questions, yeah, uh, do you eat relatively normally, or is that something because? Without the stomach, you don't have the acids to break down the food, uh, right. to be then distributing the minerals, the, the 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 vitamins, minerals, and calories, and all those other parts, uh, to the to the through the bloodstream and the rest of the body.
1: Yeah, my at first my meals were. I mean, I've been. I still struggle thirteen years later with the meals I eat, but I do eat. I can eat steak and lobster if. You know, I may feel tired and uncomfortable and have to lie down after, but I eat pizza and Mexican food and Chinese food and I eat whatever I eat more than my wife does. I just don't (laughs) absorb all of that, all all of those calories that are coming in. And and I no longer, I get more reflux that comes up now that because they cut the bottom of my esophagus out and we have a sphincter up here that that stops things from coming up. And Mm -hmm. so I get a bit more reflux but i have to, what i have to do i have to chew more i chew 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 more to get get the food down and it absorbs a bit better you know you and most everyone else has the acids to break it down it's the holding place okay. then it gets pushed to the small intestine okay but, yeah. so
0: so you have uh, developed some new techniques if you will protocols as far as eating is concerned but again you're just like the rest of us. We could, You and I could go out for a cup of coffee and some bacon and eggs and, and have a great time, and it would be wonderful.
1: <laughs> coffee, coffee here. I probably have too much coffee now. I love bacon and eggs. I love all of that. I just, it's, it's unstoppable. Right.
0: So um, when you are not uh, talking with folks such as myself about uh, Killer Grace's uh what are what are you doing with your life these days i mean obviously that turned your life upside down initially
1: yes yes uh i mean i am a financial advisor by nature so and i work remotely uh, because that's what a lot of people do these days versus going to the office i have my own clients so that keeps me busy i have two kids a child a daughter and and a stepson that are both teenagers and then I actually am very, very active in mentoring people uh, with stomach cancer and addiction. So I'm, I'm on a board of Debbie's Dream Foundation, which is a is a cancer foundation that I, I go to. We go to Washington, D.C. every year and I speak with Senate and Congress members. I I'm clearly am not doing that like this February, but mm-hmm. uh, we've been doing that, uh, helping to get uh, funding for stomach cancer every year. So I, I go meet in. I mean, I was literally in. Pelosi's like office last year, like like crazy st- crazy stuff that's been you know transpired lately. So yeah. I go do all of these uh, these type of things, and then on top of that, I'm very active in having fun and enjoying travel. I've been on 20 airplanes in the last six months. I've been to Panama and Mexico and Atlanta and and I, I have horses that I own still that are running around the country. So I am making the most of every opportunity I can. Because I just, uh, I, I, I don't want to miss out and I want to live.
0: What about your immune system? Was it impacted uh, severely or is it pretty much intact from that standpoint? Uh, because obviously you have to take that one shot every every month and so forth. Uh, but I'm just curious, uh, in uh, terms of, especially in terms of this virus, I mean, I'm not going to uh, de-emphasize the severe seriousness and severity of this virus and now we have not just one but apparently two different strains as our conversation is unfolding here
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, but
0: i personally believe that if uh and, and again this is not a guarantee and i'm just speaking for myself ladies and gentlemen i'm not putting this out for everybody else if my immune system is strong i think i stand a better chance of uh fighting it off Uh, Whereas as you hear many people who end up succumbing to the virus, they say they died of underlying circumstances. And most of those (laughs) were diabetes, heart disease uh, and a bunch of other stuff that could have been could have been reversed had they taken better care of themselves. So what about uh, this virus? Are you are you concerned about it uh, in, in that regard because your immune system is weak or is it a pretty strong one?
1: I, that is a great question about how strong my immune system really is. Uh, ever since I went through the chemo and the radiation, and I was beaten down so low mm-hmm. for so long, I haven't really gotten a cold or gotten, uh, or gotten flus. I mean, I do get my flu shot every year. I do, and this in COVID, I have been mask wearing, sanitized wearing, but I do go out every day to the store or go run around. I do things, and I've been on planes. So I don't really know for a fact whether or not my, I mean, I, I think my immune system maybe is okay, but technically with all these things removed, it should be very compromised. So I hope to be able to get the the vaccine as soon as I can, mm-hmm. but I'm, I, I for even as compromised as, as I am, I'm kind of far down the line on being able to get it. Uh, it doesn't seem like it's something I'm able to get in line for at this point. And they're yeah. doing the, you know, the other frontline workers, but I don't tend to get sick these days. Now, I will say my, my iron levels are extremely low. I actually have to go in tomorrow and get an iron infusion, my first one in 13 years. Uh, my I guess you're supposed to be between 40 and 200, and I'm a four. Oh. I'm a four, but whatever that... So my doctor said that my iron... So that means my energy should be lower, and I have zero in my tanks. But they said... So I finally went in and there and the doctor just said, I need an infusion. Well, it, I'm not going to die from low iron. I just supposedly don't have any energy, but for someone who has no energy, I, I do, I do a lot of stuff. So I'm going to try that tomorrow and we'll see. And I've got two things scheduled to the in next week and, and this week, and hopefully that will help that level. But that's just my energy. It's not my immune system. Yeah. I don't specifically know everything else seems to be okay.
0: Let, let's talk a little bit about uh, your, your overall philosophy uh, as, it, as, it, uh, as it pertains not just to the cancer, uh, but to everything that you have been through uh, and how that's changed over the years. I was born and raised a Catholic, Western Rite of the Catholic Church. Uh, and as mm-hmm. I grew up, I was exposed to Mormonism because our neighbors were Mormons. Uh, I was uh, uh, introduced, in a manner of speaking, uh, to, uh, to Judaism, it just, you know, especially around the holidays with Hanukkah. And, of course, I remember hearing, oh, yes, this is the month uh, just where we celebrate Yom Kippur and all these different things. And, <clears throat> and then, of course, uh, Islam. And I was a Baha'i for a year and a half back in the early 90s. I consider myself today to be a metaphysician. Uh, mm. Because I'm looking at all of those, and one of the beautiful tenets of the Baha'i faith, the founder uh, Baha'u'llah used to w- would say, and it's written, uh, "If you accept uh, one of the uh, messengers of God, you accept them all, and if you reject one of them, you reject them all." Well, uh, I don't have a particular favorite. When mm. I was working for a Christian station, uh, Steve, I I was uh, actually uh, talking with some people, and I says, "Yeah." You know, I'm on my search and they say, well, well, once you find Jesus, your search is over. I said, well, no, not actually. That's not entirely true. Actually, when I find Jesus, my search has just begun. Mm-hmm. And, and I firmly believe that. So I'm curious about your search, uh, where it started, uh, how it's been transformed through your life and where it is today.
1: Yeah, uh, so my search is ongoing right now. I'm really, really looking even even more now. I uh, I, I grew up. Protestant Presbyterian, and ended up going to a Catholic uh, college, <clears throat> and then I took and in that Catholic college, I I took uh, religious studies of all different types. We were required to take Catholic theology, and then I took a history of religions in in college. And in, at that point in college, I was kind of I was very my direction wasn't in wasn't focused toward religious studies, but I did uh, I did learn a lot of about Taoism and buddhism and judaism and, and all these different religions at the time too so i it, it it actually strengthened of my faith in something and i just i just didn't know exactly what that was going to be and then and then my 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 girlfriend was was jewish uh, at the, at the time and and i would go over and hang out with them and, and and they would call me the this is what they would call me they'd call me the english muffin with all the bagels like I would be like the the one outsider that was with all of them. I I wasn't one of them, and uh, it was it was it was just an interesting. I was trying to find what was going to be me and who was me, and I felt that that there was so much more to all of this. And I've and I've become uh, much much more spiritual in in this day without a specific point. I mean, I, I believe I believe, but. I can be cynical in each one, each religion. I can, I can point out the things that that I'm going, how does that? But what I do believe is that people that have a faith are generally kinder people, uh, generally, and they want to be kind to other people and they want to get through this. And I want, I want to help others and I want, I want to be part of a positive, positive energy and whatever that energy is. I mean, in, and then when you get sober and you go to AA meetings, they tell you that there's a lot of God talk in there mm-hmm. and not everyone associates with God, right? Not everyone, especially when you get these people who come from all these wild backgrounds. And so it's the higher power that you have to look at to help you get out of these problems. And the focus has to go away from you. Stop being so, focused on yourself and focused toward others and what else is out there. And that is the God or the higher power. And they say, whatever you want to call the God of your choice or the higher power. So uh, I have not been able to uh, label in my current status or state. What is my higher power? Exactly. It's not a person or a thing. It is a power that's out there that is greater than myself. And I know it's there and uh, where I'm going after, I think I have people that, who are looking out over me that their energies are somewhere here in you know, looking out for me and helping me continue to, to, to walk this positive energy path. So I'm all about energy. I can see energy and feel energy, and I can't quite explain it, but it's to me, it's fascinating.
0: In conversations with my wife, uh, she shared some things with me where, yeah, she, her life could have taken a totally different turn. But she says, yeah, I must have angels on my shoulder somewhere because that shouldn't have gone that way. You know, and this is in relation to other people who came into her sphere uh, of her life and uh, including this, what was referred to uh, by our Vedic astrologer friend who has been on this program many times. And he told her, uh, you know, like, I'm going to say 23, 24 years ago, which puts it uh, four or five years, uh, three or four years before this, he said that you will have... In this particular period of time, in this in this particular year of uh, two thousand one, you will <coughs> have, pardon me, what he referred to as a death like experience. Well, getting the diagnosis of cancer is pretty damn close to that. Let me tell you.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, so that's one of the reasons why you know we've both felt very strongly that. You know, yeah, I understand when, when she starts feeling a certain way in certain parts of her body and she starts to get scared and then Mm -hmm. she'll go have the scans or the tests or what have you and finds out it wasn't not, no, you're fine. Uh, Everything's good and, um, and so forth. But that's something that, uh, uh, I know is going to be with you, for example, obviously the rest of your life. Do do you recall what the symptoms were that drove you to the physician who then told you after all the tests, you got cancer and what, and today do you experience any like symptoms that then make you want to rush to the medic to make sure, Oh, here we go again, please. No. Yeah.
1: I, I had, uh, I, the doctors initially thought, <clears throat> thought it was stress because I was 37 years old. I had a one-year-old baby in the, in the house. I had a new job after 12, 15 years. Uh, I had all sorts of things going on. So they thought it was just stress building up and that was what the pain was and the discomfort. Uh, but my energy was dropping in my, and my weight started to drop too. So that those are things that you got to pay attention to if you have sudden weight loss or you have pains that don't quite go away that are internally that's, uh, and, and, or your energy. I thought I was just exhausted. I thought it was just stress. I thought uh, I was losing weight because I had gained baby weight with my wife. She gained weight and then I gained weight and then we, and then I started (laughs) losing after the baby. I thought it was sympathy weight that I was gaining and then losing. Well, uh, it just so happens that I was bleeding from a mass there. So uh, when I got to the final emergency room, you know I, I only went there because I couldn't see my primary care physician. It was too early in the morning and I hadn't slept the entire night and it was just really uncomfortable. So uh, making that diversion to go to someone else and, you know, it wasn't an ulcer, it wasn't, you know I was taking anti-acid med- medications and that none of that was working. So finally, uh, I was able to, you know, get that diagnosis. And then now I still have challenges. I don't have really problems anymore because if I looked at all these things as problems, I would overwhelm myself and I would be so stressed out about everything that I'm facing. I, I currently, you know, this summer, well, let's just rewind. Last year, I had a pain in the same area and I didn't know what it was and I was on my anniversary. I got remarried and I was on my one-year anniversary and pain got so intense uh, when we got home, I went to the emergency room. Well, I was in the hospital for eight days. I had my gallbladder had to get removed. It was gangrene. So the gallbladder came, the gallbladder came out last year too. So that sucked. Um, and then if we go to this year, I this was in the summer, I was having swallowing problems. And I thought maybe my the cancer came back in my throat. Well, uh, they scanned me and did endoscopies. And now I've had to had three stretching of my esophagus in the past four months because the radiation treatment that I had 12 years ago scarred and damaged my esophagus and so it's been closing i got a i got an advil stuck in my throat this summer and i couldn't swallow it so i had to go to the emergency room so i tend not to go into the emergency room but it clear when i by the time i get there i'm pretty bad off so um so yes i try not to jump jump to these but but i've gotten through them i have to Mm have one more stretching of my esophagus next week you know it's Terrible.
0: Seems to me like uh, it's about time to go to the uh, to the um, used body lot and uh, trade it in for a better model.
1: <laughs> I'm getting more aerodynamic. <laughs> I'm getting rid of some of these parts. That's what I am.
0: Well, more efficient. Obvious, well, and, and I, I love your your sense of humor uh, uh, in regards to it. Uh, your attitude about it. Uh, because we all have stuff we have to deal with. I mean, you know, and 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 yet. I've come to this conclusion we all have exact we have the same emotions, okay We all experience the same emotions. It's our stories that define us as individuals and it's those same emotions in my opinion that unite us as community. And that's one of the reasons why we are having you on the program to, uh, to not only become a part of our community here on Tell Me Your Story, but also to share with others uh, who are maybe going through some of the same kinds of things, whether it be cancer or anything else, any other dis-ease or misalignment or m- a malfunction, if you will. You know, that, you, know you, you hear quite often, uh, Steve, uh, from the auto dealers, uh, auto manufacturers We are uh, recalling uh, five and a half million vehicles going back 55 years because of a single defective part. And my first thought was, how is that even possible that your engineers didn't know that this would be a problem? And finally, somebody explained it to me, and you'd think it would be simple logic on my part. They explained it to me, even an engineer. And the designer does not know exactly how a particular part or system is going to hold up over the long haul. And that's the reason why those kinds of things happen. It's not intentional uh, design uh, flaws and that kind of thing. In spite of one gentleman I interviewed about 25, 30 years ago who wrote a book called uh, Built-In Obsolescence. Uh, it's basically because it wear and tear, and they don't know how it's gonna, how, how that's gonna, how that's gonna play out over the years. And uh, I, <laughs> you know, don't get me wrong, I'm a believer in the force too, my friend. Uh, but I'm sitting here thinking, you know, sometimes I wonder if the manufacturer uh, should have spent just a li- took took you take another <laughs> day, take one more day, and make sure you get it right so the parts last. Well, it's not on the manufacturer; it's how we as a species over the, the generations have treated ourselves. Uh, because see, you know it's I don't know about you, Steve, but I believe, I don't know this, but I believe from what I have learned over the years that we have each one of us has the potential for certain diseases. In your case, you had the mm-hmm. potential for stomach cancer and boom, voila there it is. Mm-hmm. Um, I have the potential, For type 2 diabetes. I had it at one time. I don't anymore. Because I knew how I got it. You know. Uh, And it was from the pandemic. And it was because, uh, like most everybody else, I switched to comfort foods. And what do they have in them? Lots of sugars and lots of carbs. And Mm -hmm. my my blood sugar went through the roof. Hey, two months later after I was diagnosed, it's down to normal. So, so... You know, it's, it's not impossible, but we have these potentialities. It doesn't mean we will get them. It means that if we do certain things, live in certain environments, eat certain foods, uh, do these different things and so forth, that we increase the potentiality, potentiality to the possibility and then to the reality sometimes. And Mm -hmm. then it's like, okay, how do I back this up? And how do I reverse this? Um, Has there been a time, going back to your philosophical uh, leanings, uh, considering uh, I'm sure what you have been through, where you've maybe taken a look metaphysically or spiritually or symbolically, metaphorically, If I I don't know how many other words I can use, Mm -hmm. to find out, what the stomach was all about. Now, certainly on a physical level, we know, okay, but mm-hmm. on a spiritual or metaphysical or metaphorical level, what was that? What's that all about for you? Have you done any research in that regard or searching? That's a
1: fascinating question. I, 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 I think that we carry a lot of stuff and heat and energy in our stomach. And uh, I I have not really thought about or even been asked that question. But I do know that I took a lot of stuff in and maybe, and I don't think it was necessarily the healthiest when I was younger. My parents died of heart attacks in their 50s, 52 and 57. And so I don't think that the I grew up in a house that was ingesting a lot. There was no alcohol ingested, mm-hmm. but The stuff that was brought in was into our bodies was probably not as healthy as it could have been. And it took both of them out with heart Mm. attacks. So uh, I think, you know, symbolically, uh, I I had a, what was it? Was it embarrassed about my parents? Was it, you know, they were overweight. And I had this thing about their eating that bothered me.
0: Mm.
1: I, I just, I was embarrassed by it. Yeah. And, you know, and uh, and I w- did not want to follow in those footsteps to be obese. And oh. so now that you, you know, you asked that question, I, 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 you know, I don't know. I don't know how that connection is, but there is some connection about about the stomach itself and how I really had a dislike for for it and what it did to my parents.
0: Uh, interesting insight. I yeah. I uh this kind of goes back to what I asked earlier about her- heredity. Uh I of course uh, uh after finding out I was diagnosed with high blood pressure uh it's probably about a year or two after that I called my mom and I just kind of said, "Hey, uh, is I I know that um, you know grandpa died from a heart attack and so on and so on and so on." Uh you know, and she said, "Well, you know, high blood pressure it runs in the family." Well, when I was first diagnosed back in I think it was 2010, 11, 12, I told the doc, I says, you can take all the fluids you want. You're not going to find it in the fluids. You know, took blood and urine and this and that and the other thing to see where the problem was. Cholesterol might have been a tad high, but it wasn't, you know, dangerous. I says, it's not in my biology. It's in my psychology. See, I moved to California in 2006, and I moved from Phoenix, which is turning into another L.A. Uh, Mm -hmm. But that was my hometown and so forth. And so I I told him, I said, uh, said, uh, um, I'm having trouble dealing with, and this is what I said then, with the stupid people doing stupid stuff on the road, you know. Mm-hmm. And I've I've made some changes. I, I tried to remind myself uh, of what someone said to me, Richard. They did not get up this morning le- saying, let's get Richard. Okay? It wasn't mm-hmm. personal. And I took that two ways. One was, oh, okay, boy, I'm glad it wasn't personal. The other way was, what do you mean it's not personal? They don't care enough about me to make it personal. You know, it's like <laughs> kind of silly. Um, but, yeah, and, and that's really where it's at. I mean, I've always been, I think, uh, what would be considered a Type A person—very energetic, very high, high-strung. I suppose you might say. I mean, even my brother and his brother and sisters would probably agree that, yeah, there were times when I I would get real upset and when things didn't go my way. Sure, uh, but that's just my temperament—something I've I've lived with and I've learned how to make the adjustments and reprocess what has just happened and saying, okay, wait a minute. Also realizing, too, that what I'm upset about that's on the outside is usually something within myself that I sh- I'm upset about. And so I turn it i turn it inwardly and I, I start to, to process it that way. So it's, a, it's an interesting process that we all go through. And I'm hoping that more people will do that, especially when they go to pick up a copy of your book, Killer Graces. It's written by my guest, uh, Steve... Uh, and uh, Steve, um, you know, it's uh, Steve uh, Mellon, Mellon, Steve Mellon, M-E-L-E-N. <laughs> and stevemellon.com is my is his website, not mine, his. Mine's richarddugan.com. Steve, I want to thank you so much for giving us so, so much time here on the program. Steve Mellon, uh, who again is the author of uh, Killer Graces. I want to encourage our listeners to go to your website to find out more about you and the work you're doing. And, hey, we'll look for that second book if that's something that's (laughs) that's, uh, on the horizon for you, if uh, if that's uh, of interest to you to pursue that. I also have three final questions that I would like to ask you, but... um, Uh, I'm going to ask those of you in just a moment, but first I want to remind our listeners that we are here Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., streaming live at richarddugan.com. And uh, we are also on YouTube. You can listen to and watch these interviews. I hope you will go there and even subscribe. If you also uh, resonate with what we're doing, you like what we're trying to bring your way, we encourage you to support us financially through PayPal or Patreon accounts. Uh, They are there for your security as well as ours. Participate in the Decade of Perfect Vision, the 2020s, and uh, get get that insight, get that intuition. That's something I didn't get a chance to ask you on this program, and maybe we'll have you back again to talk a little bit about that and some of the insights that you've, uh, more insights, and I'm sure that uh, they'll find that also in the copy of your book. And um, so there you go. Those are those elements that I wanted to bring to our listeners' attention. So my first of three questions to you that I like to ask all of my guests, which you may have answered during the program, but... I like to ask them pointedly. The first is, who is Steve Mellon?
1: (laughs) Steve Mellon is just a kid who wants to get through life and uh, be happy and support and uh, raise my children and uh, be with my wife to the very end. I'm just, I'm just a little kid still.
0: What is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you're doing now?
1: Uh, by 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 releasing this book, it's given me a tool to reach out to more people to give them a little hope and inspiration. I didn't plan on releasing the, it uh, during this time of COVID and world trauma that's going on, uh, but I think we all needed diversion at times, a little distraction, and you need and we all need. Uh, a positive, happy ending, uh, and, and that's really what I want. I just I want to entertain slash inspire people just to realize that you can get through these things that you're uh, that you're going through.
0: And finally, what is your life's purpose? My purpose—it's
1: unfolding right now. I I found that I'm being rewarded more for the work that I'm doing and helping others, and I think I've been given us another chance, a third chance to live here, to be able to pass that, pass that to others. And I think that is going to help others live longer. And the more we live and recover, the more productive we are in society and the more helpful we are to other people. And that just makes a better world to live in. And that's, that's what my purpose is, giving back now.
0: Steve Mellon, again, thank you so much for joining us. And please, folks, go to SteveMellon.com. We will be linked to your website too, Steve, so that people can go straight there while they're listening to the interview as well. And again, I thank you so much for your time. Thank you for
1: having me. I really appreciate it. A lot of fun.
0: And I thank you for listening to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And until our next broadcast podcast, love to